Hebrews chapter 11, and we have been going through these characters in what has been described as the Hall of Fame of the Heroes of the Faith. And to remind us of how we got here and what this chapter is all about, keep in mind that these Christians, these Jewish Christians, to which the writer was addressing, they were losing their faith in Christ, so to speak. They were becoming discouraged in their walk with the Lord because of persecutions. And what the writer does in the preceding chapters, the preceding 10 chapters, is to emphasize and underscore the importance of looking to Christ as the all-sufficient Savior, that faith in him is crucial. And what he does here in chapter 11 is to spend this great length of time discussing the critical, vital importance of faith in the Christian life. We have seen it so far. He tells us in verse 3 that faith gives us a handle on our world because it is through faith that we understand that the world was created by God. In verse 4, he makes the point that faith is the means by which we approach God, by which we worship God. And then faith is the means by which we walk with God. We see that in the case of Enoch. Faith is the means by which we please God because without faith it is impossible to please God for the one who comes to God must believe that he is, that is he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And what we have here this morning, in fact we saw last week that faith, it is of the nature of faith, to venture into the unknown. Why? Because God has directed, God has commanded. And what we're going to see this morning is that faith, the writer is getting across or seems to be getting across to his readers, faith enables us to navigate that which is humanly impossible. The writer focuses this morning on Sarah, Abraham's wife, and Sarah is one of two women in this chapter who is mentioned by name, the other being Rahab in verse 31, Rahab the prostitute. Both Rahab and Sarah, they have the honor of being in this chapter among the heroes of the faith. I want to read verses 11 and 12, and then we get right into it. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. We're going to stop at that this morning. I was a little ambitious in announcing, you'll see it in the bulletin going up to verse 
um, 18. That will not happen, so we'll focus on verses 11 and 12. I want to talk this morning about Sarah and her faith, and I want to present to you five things suggested in our text and also related texts related to Sarah's faith. We just read, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. And just those first few words, by faith, Sarah herself. By faith, Sarah herself. The first thing we want to note there is the personal nature of Sarah's faith. The personal nature of Sarah's faith. Suggested by these opening words of our text is that Sarah was a woman who personally exercised faith in God. That like her husband Abraham, she herself knew God, she herself trusted the Lord, In other words, she did not ride on the faith of her husband, Abraham. You see, godly a man as Abraham was, as strong a faith he had in God, his godliness and his faith in God could not speak for his wife, Sarah. And so it was, Sarah herself was a woman of faith in God. And may I say this by way of application, and particularly to our children, to our young people, the same principle holds true for you. The fact is, you cannot ride on the faith of mom and dad. You cannot ride on the faith of grandma or grandpa. You must come to know and trust God for yourself. You see, their standing before God is all a matter of personal faith and trust in the Lord Jesus as Savior. And if ever you would have right relations with God, if ever you would enter heaven, then you must personally come to know Christ for yourself as your Lord and Savior. And the question is, have you done that? That Sarah herself exercised faith in God is a most assuring and encouraging thought because it clearly suggests that no one has a monopoly on God or greater claim with respect to this matter of faith in God. So that in believing and trusting God, Sarah, we would say, was as much in tune with God as was her husband Abraham. A reminder to us that as regards faith in Christ, all social distinctions disappear. The word of God tells us in Jesus Christ, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. In fact, the word of God teaches that husband and wife, they are heirs together of the grace of life, and so that Sarah exercised faith in God, want to say secondly, comports with the truth that it is God's will, it is God's will that husband and wives should be yoked together in their faith in him. As a couple, Sarah and Abram were in this respect like Elizabeth and John, of whom it is said in Luke chapter 1, Verse 6, that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. 
Indeed, how good and how pleasant it is for husbands and wives to love and serve God together. This is one of the things that makes for a happy and truly blessed family. Two cannot walk together unless they be agreed, says the, the prophet Amos in Amos chapter 3 and verse 3. The point is, a common faith in God provides a basis for shared values and principles, for shared outlook on life, all of which are crucial essentials for unity in the family, for harmony even with respect to husband and wife. This is what will enable a husband and wife to weather the challenges and difficulties of life when they are serving God together. Abraham was a man of faith, and so was Sarah, a woman of faith. She herself had faith in God. Here in our text, we see not only the personal nature of Sarah's faith, but we see, secondly, the power of her faith, the power of her faith. Now, this woman, Sarah, along with her husband, Abraham, we know, were faced with a huge crisis. One that, no doubt, was a tremendous challenge to their faith in God, And it is this that forms the backdrop of the writer's discussion of Sarah's faith here in our text this morning, verses 11 and 12. When God called Abraham to leave country, kindred, and his father's house for land he would show him, the Bible tells us that Abraham was 75 years of age. Being 10 years younger, as suggested by Genesis chapter 17 and verse 17, Sarah was 65 years of age. According to Genesis chapter 11 and verse 30, she had no child as she was barren, unable to conceive. And apparently, this was her condition throughout what would be considered normal childbearing years. The word of God says she was barren. And ultimately, she arrived at that season in her life when, humanly speaking, it was impossible for her to bear and birth a child. When any suggestion of her having a child would seem ludicrous. Indeed, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 17, Sarah is approximately 89 years of age. As suggested by Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, compared with Genesis 17 and verse 17. 89 years of age. In fact, here's how Genesis chapter 18 and verse 11 summarizes her condition. It says here, quote, She was old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Now, added to all this was the less than encouraging assessment of Abraham in Romans chapter 4 and verse 19. Because there in Romans chapter 4 and verse 19, Paul, in commenting on Abraham, says that being roughly 100 years old, his body was as good as dead. 
And from the perspective of the author of Hebrews here, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 12, Abraham was as good as dead. The point is, age of a man that he was, his diminished vital forces rendered him incapable of fathering a child. Okay, he had Ishmael when he was 89, or rather 86. But the idea of his fathering a child at 100 years of age was the last thing anyone would imagine. Such a thing doesn't happen in the normal course or in the normal order of things. And keep in mind, we're not dealing here with a period known as the antediluvian period, the period before the flood when people were living for centuries and having children way into their hundreds. So here was an aged couple whose declining bodies were, we would say, reproductively defunct. And yet when Abraham was 99 and Sarah 89, the Lord announced to Abraham regarding Sarah, and we have it in Genesis chapter 17, verses 16 and 19. Here's God's declaration to Abraham at 99 when his wife was 89. God said to Abraham, I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And notwithstanding the fact that such promise of God did not sink with human logic, did not sink with human understanding, with the natural order of things. Sarah, our text tells us here in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 11, we read, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age. Once again, when was that? When she was all of 90 years old. 90 years old. And from where did she derive the power to conceive? She derived the power to conceive from the almighty, all-powerful God of heaven. Well, who is this God? Who is this God? He is the one who made heaven and earth, according to the prophet Jeremiah, who by his great power and outstretched arm, the God for whom nothing is too hard. That's what the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 17. He is the one who, as Paul says in Romans chapter 4 verse 17, gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. The one with whom nothing is impossible, Luke chapter 1 and verse 37. That is the God with whom Sarah dealt. That is the God with whom you and I have to do. Now, there's a website. And on the website, oldest.org, there's a list of the eight oldest pregnant women ever in the world to give birth. 
Number eight, the youngest. And I put it in quotation mark, the youngest. Was pregnant when she was 56 years, 11 months, and 27 days old. By the way, they give the names of these people and their location, but we're not going to call names. We're not going to give location. But this number eight was the quote-unquote youngest, 56 years, 11 months, 27 days old. Not wanting to bore you, let me run to number six. For her, it was when she was 61, 61 years old. Number five, 63 years old. Number five, no, we don't get to number five, 63. Number four, 65 years old. Number three, 66 years old. Number two, 70 years old. Number one, 72 years old. Now, here's a, here's, there's a caveat here. All but one of these pregnancies resulted from natural conception. And with that one, that claim is disputed. The other six conceived and gave birth, conceived by artificial means and gave birth. Now, here's what's way greater and far more phenomenal than any of these cases. We're talking about a woman, 90 years of age, unheard of. 90 years of age, giving birth to a son, Isaac, when she was all of 90 years old, when she was way, way, way past the normal season for childbearing. Against all odds, Sarah was able to conceive naturally and bear a son. Why? Because the word of God tells us she was strengthened by God. She received power from God to do that. And we have to believe that. It's in the record of Scripture. That is the power of God that we must believe. We read in Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 and 2, the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord said to Sarah, as he had promised, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken. And so what medical science would have written off, what medical science would have declared humanly impossible, became a reality for Sarah. Sarah came to understand the truth that for God there is nothing that is impossible. What happened to Sarah, beloved, underscores the truth that the Lord's hand is not shortened or limited by any kind of obstacle or challenge. That in no way is his power and purpose frustrated by the limitations that you and I in our finite minds place or would impose on him. God is who he is. is the almighty, all-powerful God of heaven, the creator, the one for whom nothing, absolutely nothing, is impossible. And the writer to the Hebrews in presenting a case like this is suggesting, is suggesting to his readers, look, this is what you need in order to persevere if ever you are to live the Christian life. You must believe in the power of God to accomplish the impossible. God is a God who accomplishes his power, his, his purposes, irrespective of our circumstances. And all he requires of us is faith in him. 
is our trust in him, which Sarah did. And we see the power of her faith, the power of her faith. She believed God, she trusted God, and what happened? She was then holding in her arms a baby. That's God, Almighty God. The personal nature of her faith, she herself believed. The power of her faith, she believed God, and God, in honoring her faith, gave her the son of promise. But we have to consider thirdly the progress of her faith, the progress of her faith. You know, in reading the accounts of people in Scripture who were outstanding in their walk with God, who were outstanding as far as their faith in God was concerned, there's a tendency to overlook the fact that like you and I, these were people who had their sins and weaknesses. Like you and like me, they were people who were subjected to temptations, to failures, to weaknesses. They had their flaws. They had their failures. And so even though Sarah appears on the honor roll of the heroes of faith, as outlined here in Hebrews chapter 11, we need to bear in mind that Sarah too had her moments of doubt. She had her moments of mistrust. She was never always trusting God. In fact, truth is, we wonder, how is it that Sarah is mentioned here in the hall of faith when we read the Old Testament and we don't see much of anything of faith on her part. So let's trace a bit of her history with respect to this matter of faith in God. In Genesis 12, when God called Abraham, he promised that he would make of Abraham a great Nation. Remember, Abraham was 75 years old. And that was a pretty broad promise, implying that Abraham would produce descendants. God simply said, listen, Abraham, get up, leave where you are, go to a land I'm going to show you, and I'm going to make of you a great nation. Broad promise. In Genesis 15 and verse 4, however, God specifically promised to bless Abraham with a son. And by the time we get to Genesis chapter 16, we find Sarah is still childless. And being childless, what you remember what Sarah did? She devised a plan to quote unquote help forward God's plan of blessing Abraham with descendants. So at Genesis chapter 16, verse 2, she went to Abraham with the following proposal. Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Now listen, Sarah was right. She was right on target in recognizing the sovereign hand of God in her barrenness. But notice, in the matter of trusting and believing God... 
that she was the one who would give birth to that son of Abraham, that son of promise. She was lacking in faith. She was lacking in faith because here's the point. There was no reason to believe that she being the wife of Abraham, God would bypass her and use a surrogate to bring about his purposes. God simply said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you with descendants. I'm going to give you a son. And it was implicitly, it should have been implicitly understood that Sarah herself would be the means through which that son would come. Of course, Abraham went along with her proposal. And clearly, such a move represented a lapse of faith on the part of both Abraham and Sarah. And needless to say, this move brought with it serious repercussions. It created tension within the home, resulting in Sarah thrusting out Hagar in the home. Here's the point. We never go contrary to God's plan for marriage, for family, and win. And then here's another indication of Sarah not responding in faith to the word of God, to the promise of God. When we find in Genesis 18.10 that when the Lord was saying to Abraham, promising Abraham that he would visit him and that Sarah would have a child the following year, Genesis 18 verse 10 tells us Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. And you remember her response when she heard? Genesis 18 verse 12 says this, she laughed to herself, saying, Am I worn out that my Lord is old, and shall I have pleasure? Now, someone would say, Well, she laughed out of sheer joy. She laughed out of sheer surprise. She laughed out of sheer delight at the prospect of having a child, which she so longed for. Well, not as far as the Lord was concerned as suggested by verses 13 through 15, because in verses 13 through 15, here's what we read. The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Listen, even Sarah herself, knew that that laughter was not a laughter of joy, but it was a laughter of doubt. She herself knew that. You say, how can we say that? As Genesis 18 verse 15 records, she denied laughing. The Bible says, for she was afraid concerning which denial the Lord rebutted. No, but you did laugh. You see, why is she denying that she laughed? Because she knew that the Lord understood that that laugh was not a laugh of sheer joy. That laugh was a laugh of doubt. It was a laugh of misgiving. It was a laugh of lack of trust in the promise of God. And all of this to make the point that Sarah was not always exercising faith in God, that she too had her moments of doubt, her moments of misgiving. She was not always a woman of faith. By the way, just like Abraham, Abraham had his moments. You remember, on at least two occasions, he lied concerning his wife. 
When he stepped outside of God's will, went into the land of Egypt, went elsewhere, you remember, he was never always trusting God. And here it is, centuries later, we find here in our text the author of Hebrews celebrating Sarah as a woman of faith, celebrating, highlighting her faith in God. The question is, how do we account for this? And the way to answer that is to say this, that though in the past she had at times failed in the matter of faith, running ahead of God at one time, even bringing heartache to her family at another time, laughing with incredulity at the idea of bearing a son in her 90th year, Sarah had progressed with respect to her faith in God. She had progressed with respect to her faith in God. By the grace of God, her former doubts gave way to faith in the promise of God. And beloved, consider this, the fact that she waited for all of 25 years, counting all the way back when God called Abram from Ur of the Chaldees and promised to make of him a great nation, giving him descendants. We're talking about 25 years and what with all the seeming impossibility of her situation dictating to her suggests that related to her progress in faith was her perseverance. She persevered in faith. She grew in her faith. And what an encouragement that is to you and me, my friend, because many times, if we're not very careful, we have the impression that we become easily discarded because whenever we falter in faith, we think that's the end of the world. We think that we are totally, we might even think we're not saved. But here's the point. There is such a thing as growth in faith. And Sarah provides us that, of that example that her faith progressed, her faith persevered. She was a woman of faith as recorded here in our text. Beloved, how wonderful it is to know that the last thing we hear of Sarah was not about her doubts, was not about her misgivings, was not about her mistrust, but of her faith in God. And what a marvelous display of grace we find here, a potent reminder to us of the truth that with God, our failures are never final. Our failures are never final. Yes, that with him there's mercy and grace, mercy and grace to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. First Peter chapter 5, verse 10. You remember, just as the Apostle Peter experienced from the Lord Jesus after denying him all of three times, the Lord mercifully and graciously restored Peter. Peter was a tremendous spokesman for Christ, but he fell miserably. He, we, he would, we would say, he fell into doubts, he fell into fear, he even denied the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happened? The Lord Jesus graciously restored him. That's the God we serve. The last word concerning Sarah was not what she did in running ahead of God, in doubting God, in mistrusting God. That which is said of her here was that she was able to bear a child. Why? Because she dared to believe God. She dared to believe God. The personal nature of Sarah's faith, the power of Sarah's faith, the progress of her faith we consider, fourthly, the premise of our faith. The premise of our faith. Let's look again at our text. Look at verse 11. By faith, 
Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age. Here it comes, since, and this is giving us the premise, the grounds, the basis of her faith, since she considered him faithful who had promised. What was the premise? What was the basis for faith in God, the faithfulness of God to his word? Sarah considered, that is to say, she reckoned on the truth, on the fact that the God who promises is a God of integrity. That he's a God who is trustworthy, that unlike man, he's a God who cannot lie. He's the God who does not go back in his word, for all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen to the glory of God. Once again, we see something of the nature of faith. If we want to come away this morning, my friends, with the nature of faith, we can derive the nature of faith from verse 11. What is the nature of faith? As we have established in previous studies, faith is not a blind, irrational leap into the dark. That, you see, is sheer superstition. Faith is not a matter of saying, you know something, I don't know where I'm going, I'm just going to step out. That's not faith. That is sheer superstition. And there are many people in many places today doing that kind of thing. Furthermore, faith is not some wild, fanciful flight of the imagination in which we psych ourselves up into believing anything. You find that in many circles. People will say, trust God for big things. And what happens many times, they do stupid things. And they call that faith. Faith is not a blind leap into the dark. Faith is not a wild, fanciful flight of the imagination in which we psych ourselves up to believe anything. That is senseless fanaticism. Rather, here it comes. What is the nature of true faith according to verse 11? Look back at verse 11. We would say this, that true biblical faith derives from an informed, intelligent understanding and appreciation of the truth as to who God is and what he is able to do. Do you see that? She reckoned, she considered, that's what? That's what? Intellectual exercise, that's using the mind, that's counting on the truth, counting on the fact of who God is and what he's capable of doing. She reckoned on the character of God, the truth concerning God's faithfulness, the truth concerning his trustworthiness, the truth that having promised a son, God would not go back on his word because he is faithful who promises True faith that is grounded on the trustworthy character and unfailing power of God as revealed in his word. This brings us to our second point concerning the nature of true biblical faith. We see again in verse 11, true biblical faith is God-centered. True biblical faith is God-centered. The point is this, that in the end, rather than fixating on our challenging challenges, rather than fixating on our seemingly impossible situation, Sarah focused on God. She focused on God. You see, faith, which the word of God commands and which the word of God commends, looks to God 
and not to that which appears insurmountable and impossible. Faith looks to God and not to circumstances. And that, was, that is why, you see, Luther could put it like this concerning faith. He says this, If we would trust God, we must crucify the question, how? If we would trust God, we must crucify the question, how? Because the fact is, when we are dealing with God, we're talking about something totally different. For him, absolutely nothing is impossible. Let's consider lastly the product of our faith. The product of our faith. Verse 12. Here's what the writer says. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And in this verse, the author abruptly moves from Sarah, turning his attention to Abraham. And there's a reason for that. Why? Because you see, Abraham, along with his descendants, is the focal point of God's covenant redeeming purposes. Now, the author states the astounding, far-reaching effect of Sarah's faith. If you'll notice here in verse 12, that faith which enabled her to give birth to her son, Isaac, we see here the far-reaching implications of her faith. He cites the implication of her faith on Abram, the one through whom God promised that his seed would bless all the families of the earth. We read, therefore, from one man and from him, as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And here, the author uses two metaphors to underscore the phenomenal, the phenomenal size of Abraham's descendants. He speaks of the stars of heaven. Remember when God took Abraham outside, he says, Abraham, if you can count the stars of heaven, what is he suggesting? You'll never be able to count them. And then he used a second imagery. As the sand by the seashore. Can you count the sand, the grains of sand by the seashore? Not at all. Some scholars see the image of the stars of heaven as referring to his spiritual descendants, while the sand of the sea they see as his natural descendants consisting of Jews and Arabs. I want to go beyond that, and I want to suggest that based on the wider context of Scripture, it is better to conclude that these descendants are spiritual descendants representing God's redeemed people. How do we know that? Why can we say that? Galatians chapter 3, 7 through 9. Know then this, Paul writes, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. He's not talking about mere natural descendants. He's talking about spiritual descendants. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to promise. The far-reaching implications of Sarah's faith. Can you see it? The far-reaching implications of 
Her faith, yes. Then what happened? The birth of her son. What happened after the birth of her son Isaac? We have the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, coming through that line. And what do we have next? We have those of us who have placed faith and trust in the redeemed. John says multitudes that could not be numbered, thousands upon ten thousands. The far-reaching impact of Sarah's faith. A.W. Pink says regarding the impact of Sarah's faith, he says this, the opening therefore of verse 12 points the blessed consequence of her relying upon the faithfulness of God in the face of the most utmost natural discouragements. From her faith there issued Isaac and from him ultimately Christ himself and this is recorded for our instruction who can estimate the fruits of faith? Who can tell how many lives may be affected for good, even in generations to come, yet through your faith and my faith today? You see? Here's the point. We must never underestimate the far-reaching effect of faith in God. And may I suggest this to you? Your grandchildren are watching you in the matter of faith. Your husband is watching you in the matter of faith in God. Your wife is watching you in the matter of faith in God. And here's the point. The writer is saying here, in consequence of, A of Sarah's faith in God, therefore, verse 12, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. What then do we take away from this text this morning? Let me put it like this. In a nutshell, we learned this morning the God with whom we have to do is the God of the impossible. The God with whom we have to do is the God of the impossible, which means that there's no challenge, no difficulty, no circumstances, however, however formidable, however seemingly insurmountable, that can thwart his power, that can thwart his purposes and intentions. And Sarah, given her situation, as impossible as it seemed, she came to a first knowledge of this truth, that God rewarded her faith. God rewarded her faith. She came to a first knowledge that with God, all things are possible. As our Lord Jesus said, all things are possible to him who believes. Why can God do the seemingly impossible? And with this we close. He can do the seemingly impossible. Because he is the creator and controller of all things, natural as well as spiritual. Which means, if he is the controller of all things, natural and spiritual, and if it is true that he, con he controls and creates the laws related to his creation, it means then that he is in no way limited by his creation, nor by the laws he has determined for his creation. That's why he could do the seemingly impossible with Sarah, causing her to give birth at 90. Now, let me stop here to say this. 
if we apply this lesson this morning, then we could say this. For those who are not saved, you might be saying, listen, I don't see how God could save me and I don't see how I could live the Christian life. Hear me, hear, hear me on this, as we see from our text. It is clear from this passage, this passage underscores the truth that God is able to raise from the dead and that God can call into being things that are not and that God is the God for whom there's absolutely nothing that is too hard or difficult. He can change, he can transform you. And it means this, that we must not give up. We must not give up hope with respect to persons we think could never be saved. If God could have done that for Sarah, if God could have done that which is unnatural and that which is really uh, out of the ordinary, listen, he can save a soul. Why? Because he's the God of almighty power. May God bless these truths to our hearts and may we be encouraged to lift our hearts to him regardless of the circumstances, looking to him, believing in him, persevering in faith in him, and not losing heart. He's able. He's able.